Before I begin this morning, I have one more announcement that I would like to make. Um, Kent taught us last week about giving, the way that Jesus perceives giving sacrificially. And we, there's an opportunity for a couple women to participate in a prison ministry that if they are willing and able to do so uh, and would like to be part of that, I would recommend that you talk to my wife, Robin. This ministry is a Bible study every Thursday night that has been going on for many years now. Uh, my wife, Robin, and uh, her longtime partner, Bernita Preston, have been uh, active in this Bible study at the women's prison, which is over on Rice Road on the east side of Topeka. They really need a couple more helpers. We'd love to have one or two other women from Lion and Lamb be part of this. Uh, the reason is that they, it's every week, and uh, they at times have had to cancel because of someone's sick or out of town or something like that. So it's really good to have a couple backups or people who would rotate in so that there wouldn't be downtime. So if anyone would like to serve Jesus in this way by entering into the prisons, please get with Robin. If you want to learn a little more about what that is too, you could talk to me or the two Billens. Dan and Bill have uh, visited there once in that class with us at Christmas time. They could give you an idea of how rewarding it would be to you too to participate in this. So I wanted to just make that opportunity available. And if you do want to be part of that, you would need to go through a training program. So it would take a little time to become active. Okay. Today, you guys want to start that up? Today I'm going to be talking about something that has probably been one of the most greatly debated topics within the church. And hotly debated, too, not just mild in nature. There are a lot of Christians that line up on both sides of the issue we're going to talk about today. And uh, maybe even in this church, we may have some people lining up on both sides of the issue. And what we're really going to talk about today is the eternal security of the believer. On one side of the issue, we have the person who says you can lose your salvation if, and now fill in the blank after if, too many sins, cursing God, whatever you want to add to that, but you can lose your salvation. That's one side of the issue. The other side of the issue is a person can never forfeit the gift of eternal life if he, is, he or she is truly saved. This is a hot topic, and... Uh, Scripture is clear, I believe, as you will see as I go forward today. And there is so much written on this subject, there's no way in one teaching time that I could ever cover it adequately. But I am going to try to focus on passages and verses that I think Scripture, where it speaks clearly. And that's going to be a lot of the focus. But we are going to look at some of the other side of this too today. But only one of these positions can be true. They both can't be true because they are so different from one another. And it's either the eternal security of the believer or conditional salvation. And by conditional salvation, it really means that you are playing a role in maintaining your salvation. Once you have been saved, you've got something to do. You can do something to keep it or lose it. Now, the Bible, we believe, is inspired the Bible cannot contradict itself. 
It means we can't have the Bible teaching both of these positions. It must teach one only. I'm going to try to show you today that this is the position that the Bible teaches, that the believer is eternally secure. Now, the leadership of Lion and Lamb just recently discussed this in a meeting or two that we have had, and we're united on this point. As this arrow shows, the leadership is united, believing that the believer is eternally secure from a salvation point of view. We have changed some wording in our statement of faith. We now have a sentence there that says, salvation is eternal in nature and cannot be lost or forfeit. So like I said, there may be some of you who at least doubt this, aren't sure, but I'm hoping today that what I'm going to do is show you that the clear parts of Scripture would support this position. Now, before we even go there to some of those parts of Scripture, we have a lot of people that believe you can lose your salvation who are self-described Christians, sincere Christians, saved Christians. But there was a survey that I found. There's a group called Christian Net, and they did a survey of 1,200 Christians just very recently, and 39% of these people surveyed believe you could lose your salvation. It's pretty high, 39%. A little more than 40% said you cannot lose your salvation. So that's almost equal. Just a little difference. And the rest do not know. So what we really got here is we got well over half of Christians either believe you can lose your salvation, at least respect to this survey, or believe that, or they're not sure what Scripture teaches. So that's where the starting point is in this. So if we start with a saved, born-again person, I'm going to give you a couple general reasons why people think you can lose your salvation. The first is free will. We know that God has given us free will to make choices. Every day we use this gift of free will that he has given us. And people think that this also applies to this whole subject of salvation. They believe that I chose to follow Jesus so I can choose to walk away. And that's a pretty strong belief among a lot of people. I have a lot to do with it. I'm in charge of my destiny, is what a lot of people think, because this is a gift God has given us. He isn't going to force anyone to continue following him, even if they had for some time done so. We also have examples of people. I bet everybody in this room other than maybe some of the youngest kids, have known people who looked like Christians. They did everything right. They went to church for a long period of time, perhaps. They participated in ministries. They did all the right things. And then something went wrong in their life, and they just walked away. They walked into a life of sin. They may have uh, actually even said they renounced their faith. Now, do these two ideas not scriptural, but just observational type stuff, prove that a person can walk away? I would say not. And I'll say, without going into a lot of detail here on this point, equally we could conclude for the person who appeared to walk away is that they never truly knew Jesus. They never really did. Outwardly, they may have appeared to know him, but they may not have ever really truly known him. In fact, there's a verse that speaks to this pretty clearly in 1 John chapter 2. 
where John says, I mean, he says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. So what he seems to be saying here are those who were with them, that were part of the church, let's say, and they left. And he's saying, but if they really belonged to us, if they were really one of us, they would have remained with us. That seems like a pretty clear statement. Now there is another general reason, and this is the one that I think that those Christians who believe you can lose your eternal salvation struggle with the most. There are difficult Bible passages, ones that sound like or could be interpreted to to mean that a person who looks like they believed or were a believer walked away. And I'm not going to be able to go into those passages today. Again, that's part of this large body of information that I can't cover everything today. But there are difficult Bible passages. I would be the first to admit that. Now, there's a lot have been written on those passages that help you understand or interpret them, but there's an old, noted Bible teacher, pastor named Harry Ironside. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He really did most of his preaching in the early 1900s, and he wrote extensively on this subject. In fact, he had a real long paper that covered just about all these hard verses that seemed to say you could walk away from your salvation. And he had a general conclusion to make, not looking at each one of those in particular, but he said this, if you have a clear, definite, positive scripture, do not allow some passage that is perplexing, that is difficult to interpret, that seems ambiguous, to keep you from believing the positive and clear statements such as, he that believeth has everlasting life. All of those passages that could be interpreted to say you could walk away from your salvation, I would throw in that category of difficult to interpret, a little bit ambiguous. But we have other passages that seem as clear as can be that say we cannot walk away from our salvation and we cannot lose it, and we should interpret the more difficult in light of the easier, clearer passages of Scripture. Now we have this catchy phrase here that all of us have probably heard and, and, a, and a catchy phrase like this may not be the best way to bring people to believe in eternal security. So is this just a catchy, wishful slogan or is it a biblical truth? Again, I'm going to try to show you today it's a lot more than a catchy slogan. Right now I'm going to try to just say what does it really mean to be eternally secure? What has happened? That What does it mean, eternal security? Well, just a little bit about that. It means that a tr what a true believer really is who is eternally secure began as a poor sinner, became regenerated, born of the Spirit, received a new nature, became a new creature, and was justified from every sin. And that it is impossible to revert back to that lost soul condition. That's kind of a definition now, what it does not mean, eternal security is key. It doesn't mean that every person who professes faith, attends church, is baptized, shares in communion, serves in church ministry, exercises even the gifts, of the, appears to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, are saved. This is outward stuff. And Jesus warned against outward appearances. In Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Jesus gave us a warning about who were truly his and who were truly eternally saved. This says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus saying this, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. So outward signs do not mean a lot with respect to salvation. What it really comes down to, you hear Jesus saying this, I never knew you. Knowing Jesus and him knowing us is what really matters. And we'll come and talk a little more about what that means for that person who is truly eternally secure. Jesus' guide is so simple, and no verse is simpler than John 3.16, which we all know, for that person to be eternally secure, to receive eternal life. John 3.16, we all know uh, many different uh, translations, but this one, NIV, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes shall have eternal life. Can't say it more clearly. Whoever believes shall have eternal life. Now, what does this belief look like? One of the earlier times that I taught, I actually used this Isaiah verse to help show the salvation experience, the born-again experience of Charles Spurgeon. This verse meant a whole lot to him. But in Isaiah 45:22, this linking of looking to saving, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Well, what is this looking? This looking must be like believing. It has to be the same kind of thing. Believing brings eternal life and salvation. Looking in the manner that this verse talks about does. So when we look in the way that saves, what are we looking at? We're looking at Jesus on the cross. We're looking at what he did for us. We're looking at his sacrificial death to pay the price for our sins. We see him as Savior. All that looking and recognition of who he is is believing in him and trusting in his work. That's the kind of belief, that simple belief, that puts us into that status where our sins are reckoned before God, we're declared righteous before God, and we have eternal life. Now, I want to just hit on a couple problems of believing that we can lose our salvation. First, I talked about that already, the conditional aspect of it. If you believe you can lose your salvation, that must mean that something you do or don't do will influence whether you keep it. You've got to uphold your part of the bargain. It's like a contract. Without you upholding your part of that bargain, you lose the benefit. You don't get it. And that part of the bargain is works. So it is a works-based concept to believe you can lose your salvation. Before I even look at another couple reasons, we want to see how inconsistent this is with some scripture that we're very familiar with probably. When we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, This reads, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Grace through faith followed by works. 
The works don't get us to salvation. The works should follow salvation. In fact, without there being some works or good deeds following our salvation, just as Kent mentioned last week, we should wonder whether or not our faith is saving faith. The works don't get us there, but the works should follow. James said, our faith is dead without good deeds or good works. Jesus said the same thing, by our fruit. You know, he will know who is his. We can tell who are his by fruit. Now, the next problem. If you believe you can lose your salvation, there must be a line out there somewhere that you would cross. You're in, and you're in, you're in, you're in, you're sinning. You sin a little more, you have a bad day. Do you cross that line? What a state or condition that would be to be in. When do you cross the line in, from in salvation to out of salvation? And can you go back and forth if you believe in this? I don't see anything in Scripture that ever talks about a person who can go in and out of salvation. I don't think you will find that any place. But yet that's what this implies, because there's some line that you would cross at some point where you lose your salvation. This condition of uncertainty and doubt and confusion, it would be a terrible condition to be in as a believer. If you're having a bad day, a lot of things just going wrong, you're sinning a little more than normal, have you lost it that day? That would just be a depressing state to live in. And it conflicts very much with this verse that was our key verse at the top of the uh, handout in the bulletin, 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Not hope you have eternal life, not seek it somehow after you do a certain number of good things, but you know it. You know you have it, and you're not going to lose it. Again, remember, only one of these positions can be true. So what did Jesus primarily teach on? Which position? Did Jesus say anything about losing your salvation? Or his, are his clearest teachings that you will not lose your salvation? And, and that's what we're going to really focus on here right now. There was a time when Jesus was in the temple and there was a bunch of doubting Jews around him. This is John chapter 10. And this is the analogy of the sheep. Mike uh, referred to it last week in preparation for the Lord's table, where he talked about Jesus as the good shepherd who was willing to give his life for the sheep. But later in this chapter, the passage we're going to focus on here, and we are going to come back a little to earlier in 10, but these doubting Jews Jesus was talking to and used the sheep analogy throughout. I'm going to read through this, then we're going to come back and focus upon some of the key points that are highlighted here from Verses 24 to 29, how long will you keep us in suspense? These are these doubting Jews. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, 
No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Now, why use a sheep analogy? Well, the people back then knew a lot about sheep. They knew the way sheep behaved. They knew that sheep were not that dissimilar from people with respect to a lot of their characteristics. So they were a good way to teach people. They knew the way sheep behaved. Maybe some of you know the way sheep behave. So you'll understand these things a little more clearly, too, than the rest of the folks, because you know sheep, just like they did. So let's look at a few of these characteristics of sheep. First, they're slow to learn, stubborn when they do learn something. They're prone to wander. Isaiah 53, 6, a lot of you are probably familiar with, says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And they knew this verse very well, too. They knew that the sheep analogy had been used even earlier than Jesus' teaching to teach them about themselves. Sheep are restless, too, due to fear, probably, most of the time. And sheep, these sound a lot like some people characteristics, too, don't they? But there are two more characteristics that I think are even more important and more relevant to these, this passage that we just looked at, that sheep are fully dependent on the shepherd. They'd have trouble surviving without the shepherd. They need the shepherd to feed them, to guide them to green pastures, to just keep them away from trouble, to scare away the, the lion or the bear or the wolf that is going to try to get them. So the shepherd really takes care of them, and they are dependent on that shepherd. The other thing is they really know the shepherd's voice. When the shepherd calls, if you are that shepherd's sheep, you turn and listen and maybe come. If somebody else calls sheep, if you've ever done anything with sheep and you're the shepherd, you know if I call those sheep, give me their attention. But if somebody else calls those sheep, they don't pay any attention whatsoever. They know the shepherd's voice. And that's one of the things that becomes very important if we are Jesus' sheep. We'll come back to that here in just a second. Okay, um, in this passage, Jesus, in this passage in chapter 10, Jesus does emphasize that his sheep may wander, but they cannot be lost. Now, there are some things that Jesus gives to the sheep that I'm going to start with in this passage that relate to, to eternal security. Here's some of the things that the sheep receive. He gives them eternal life and they shall never perish. Those two things together just mean a lot with respect to eternal security. Eternal life, never perish. That means forever. That doesn't mean that there's a time when it will end. It means just what it says, as clear as it can be, that it is an eternal gift from God. The third one is very important as well with respect to eternal security. No one can snatch the sheep from his hand or the father's hand. In this passage of John 10, it not only, he not only says from my hand, but he says the father's hand to emphasize how tightly you are being held and protected. That emphasis of saying both just gives us even more confidence that there is no power great enough to get us outside of that condition of being theirs. It doesn't matter how fine a 
teacher comes to you and presents some alternative arguments on what to believe, presenting some fine-sounding arguments, not Satan with all his deception can lead you away or get you away from that. No one and no argument is powerful enough to pull you away is the way that I would take what this says. Okay, so who are his sheep? Are you one of them? You know, we talked about the sheep are those who believe. That's what we were talking about on how you become a sheep, how you receive eternal life. He's giving them eternal life. The eternal life comes through belief from John 3.16. And also in this passage, he talks about the importance of belief. So everybody who believes in Jesus, trusts in his work, is one of those sheep. There is another way to become one of the sheep. And that is to, when you believe, I'm sorry, another way to be, receive eternal life, believing doesn't just make you a sheep, believing makes you a child of God. It makes you part of the family of God so that by becoming part of this family of God, I don't see anywhere in scripture where it says that you can lose this status of being part of God's family, being part of the uh, children of God. You might become a prodigal. I guess I'd like to talk about that for just a second. This concept of prodigal, which I won't get into in any detail, you can wander away, back to the sheep analogy, but you're still held tightly. You can still return. You don't lose that status as a son. If you wander, if you sin for a day, if you stumble, but you do not lose the right of what it means to be a child of God. Now there's some other things about relationship, being in a family as part of a relationship, and uh, a couple other verses from early in chapter 10 that I'd like to refer to. Sheep who uh, are are Jesus's, they listen and understand. Remember we said that they hear his voice, they know his voice, they can distinguish his voice from the voices of the world, and they will be able to understand it. Unlike those who are not part of his flock, his voice, they first of all don't hear it, and if they do, they don't understand it. They can't discern it. Earlier in John, in chapter 8, 40, verse 47, Jesus says, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. In 1 Corinthians, there are some passages that talk about this ability to discern what God is saying. The sheep can hear and understand what God is saying. And that is part of that relationship with him. The sheep also follow Jesus from John 10, 5. They'll never follow a stranger. The sheep... Um, they follow Jesus, they listen and learn because they receive the nourishment that they need. They long for his voice, just like sheep. If you've ever had sheep of your own, the reason that they pay so much attention to you is they are getting what they need. If you are one of Jesus' sheep, you go to him for the nourishment you need for your soul, just like an ordinary sheep would do to you as a shepherd. They won't follow anyone else. They're not going to follow a stranger. 
Now this last one here, and this is an interesting play on words. In John 10.3, it says that he calls his own sheep by name. And also, it doesn't say here in this verse, but that the names of those sheep are written in his book of life. Now these words are a play on the words from the song that a lot of you really know, that we know the uh, song that Jesus loves me, this I know. But this play on words of flipping it a little bit, saying Jesus knows me, this I love, is very meaningful to us. Because remember the warning that we had from Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said, away from me, I never knew you, or depart from me, I never knew you. Well, if he knows your name, and he has written it in his book of life, then he knows you. He is never going to say, away from me, I never knew you. That, is a, that would be a conclusion that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for him to say, I never knew you. Because now he knows us well enough to have put our name in the book of life. And he calls them by name. So that would say that that Matthew 7 verse would not be relevant. He can't say to you, depart from me, I never knew you, because he does know you at some point in time in salvation and wrote your name in the book of life. Now, do the eternally secure still sin just because... You, have, you are one of these secure sheep, and you can have this confidence, but are you still going to sin? Well, the answer to that is absolutely yes. As long as we live in these fleshly bodies, we are not fully conformed to his image. John 1, 1 John 1, 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That doesn't become not relevant to us when we get saved. That's relevant to us for the whole time we live here in this body. If we claim to be without sin, we're a liar. We're just deceiving ourselves. So yes, we will continue to sin. We all fall short by missing the mark of the glory of God. And that's probably every day, probably already today, in some way, either thought word or deed, we have probably sinned in some way. So how do we respond to that? We look at Romans chapter 7. We have this example of Paul talking about sin in his life that continues, where he says, what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. So Paul is saying at that point in his life that he was continuing to sin, he doesn't seem fearful through any of his writings that that sin is going to potentially be responsible for him losing his salvation. But Paul clearly, in Romans chapter 7, is not real pleased with this aspect to his life. He responds in a way with remorse and repentance. And that's what a believer should really, that should be the proper response of a believer to sin in their life. We should sorrowfully repent. We have to be recognizing our sin. We shouldn't be desensitized to our sin if we're a believer. We should instead be responsive to the Holy Spirit, who we do have, who is convicting us of that sin in our life. But we will continue to sin. 
Hopefully, we will be daily conformed more to the image of Christ and have less of that sin in our life. But we should never think just because sin enters into our life that that is a sign that we may have lost our salvation. Now, there are a few other promises in Scripture. Other, I really like this John 10 passage because I think it so clearly talks about how tightly we are held in that condition of salvation. But there's a couple passages that I also think very clearly teach about this idea of eternal security. And so I'd like to at least cover them kind of quickly here as I kind of get towards the end of this. The first one is Philippians 1.6, which says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So that good work that began in us was not our good work. He began the good work, meaning God began the good work in us. The day that we were born again was a work of God in us. When the Holy Spirit came into us and indwelled us, that was his initial work. And he will carry on that work in us to completion. He's going to make sure it's finished. Until and it'll keep going on until the day that Christ returns or if he takes us sooner till that time when we go to be with him in the present heaven. So God is at work in us, conforming us to the image of Christ, and we all know probably that that process is that process of sanctification that's going on in us with the help of the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. Another important passage comes from Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, which says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. This very strongly establishes what our condition is. We have the Holy Spirit who came into us when we were born again, became new creatures, regenerated, And we were sealed with this Holy Spirit. Now, this was a promise that came from Jesus. He promised that. And this is guaranteeing our inheritance. What inheritance are we talking about? We're talking about that inheritance in heaven with Christ forever. In that home. That's where our home will be for all eternity. And this guarantees it. When the Holy Spirit came into us, it was a guarantee of what was to come. This is a guarantee from God. God keeps his word. He is faithful. He's going to not allow this promise to go unfinished. Like he said, he's going to complete everything in us as a believer. And then we have this idea in Romans chapter 8, and it's a fairly long couple verses, so I just paraphrase it here, where nothing in the spiritual or physical realm can separate us from the love of God towards those who are in Christ. This love of God is with us forever, and nothing, whether it is, again, worldly influences, satanic influences, demonic influences, nothing can separate us from that love. The same as nothing along those lines can unloosen the grip of God and Jesus on us to keep us as part of his family and in one of his sheep. So, kind of concluding here with a few ideas. Salvation is a one-way street. 
And it was the process that took us from the dominion of darkness, where we were dead in our sins, where Satan was our father, where we were slaves to sin. We were in that state, all of us. And that born-again experience, which was a gift from God, took us out of that dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And now in this, instead of us being a slave to sin, we're a slave to righteousness. When we don't conform to that, we feel that the Holy Spirit tugging at us to draw us back. We have a counselor now. We're not desensitized in this kingdom of his son. This is a permanent kingdom. It begins here and now, and it will continue for all eternity and end finally in a new heaven and earth. But this is a one-way street. We cannot go back. There is nothing strong enough to take us out of this kingdom and return us to where we came from. So, sort of to conclude, we have uh, a lot more verses that we could really look at. We have a lot more ideas. But we have a hymn here called Blessed Assurance that many of you probably are familiar with. It was written by a woman named Fanny Crosby who served God despite being blind. And, and this, she served God primarily uh, in the mid-1800s, a long time ago. And like many hymns, this hymn has a lot of good doctrinal teaching in it, including the teaching about the concept of eternal security. This is not a new idea, not at all. In fact, it goes back to the writers of the Bible. I don't really know when the concept of being able to lose your salvation actually came about, but um, it really is not, that's probably not new as well. But this idea, blessed assurance, eternal security, has been there from the very beginning because it's truth. Fanny Crosby, when she wrote this, uh, wanted to affirm several things. She wanted us to really know that our faith in Jesus and our belief really does give us the certainty that we will be with him forever. And this hymn, when we sing it, we do affirm that. We affirm that we believe that idea. And uh, there's another aspect to this hymn that's important, that it teaches us that the, uh, that, again, the verse we just looked at a little while ago, that if we do uh, submit perfectly to the Holy Spirit, we can rest in that condition. We are heirs of salvation. We will be singing. And we don't need to worry or doubt about our salvation. This whole idea of blessed assurance is what this is all about. We know what our eternal condition will be with Christ. So today, if you came into this uh, time today and you wondered whether you could lose your salvation, I hope that this at least gives you some reasons to believe that you can't, that that's not true, that you can now put that aside. You can put aside any of those ideas that you might be able to lose your salvation and... Uh, and rest in this blessed assurance. So that's really what I was trying to accomplish today. I don't think that I'm going to uh, 
If, the, if some of you did come in that way today, you may not be fully convinced, but I hope you at least will take a closer look at this whole idea and try to understand that this truly is what the Bible teaches and that those other areas of Scripture that you may have struggled with are not really as clear as these are. And again, back to that point I made earlier, the Bible cannot teach both. It can only teach one if we are to believe that it's fully inspired. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time here this morning, and thank you for giving us your word that give us the promise that if we do believe in you, if we have looked to you as Lord and Savior, and we do trust in the work that you have done on the cross, that we can rest in that assurance that we will be with you for all eternity, either in the present heaven and then on into the new heaven and earth that's going to come when paradise is restored. Lord, thank you for this truth. Thank you for your um, promises to us in this area that we can trust in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.